Here we are. Welcome back to the Non-Believer Bible Club. This is how it's going to work. I'm going to finish the book of Genesis. Then I'm going to talk about it. And then that's the end of the episode. All you have to do is joineth me. Chapter 46 And Israel took his journey with all that he had, and came to Beersheba, and offered sacrifices unto the God of his father Isaac. And God spake unto Israel in the visions of the night, and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here am I. And he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. I will go down with thee into Egypt, and I will also surely bring thee up again. And Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. And Jacob rose up from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, and their little ones and their wives, in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. And they took their cattle and their goods, which they had gotten in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his seed with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his seed brought he with him into Egypt. And these are the names of the children of Israel, which came into Egypt, Jacob and his sons. Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and the sons of Reuben, Hanak, and Phalu, and Hezron, and Carmi, and the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, and Jamin, Jamin, and Ohad, and Jach, Jachin, Jachin, and Zohar, and Shal, the son of a Canaanite, ooh, hoo, 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 let's go, Canaanite, Tish woman, not Canaanite, Canaanite Tish, Ish, and the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, and the sons of Judah, Ur and Onan, and Shelah and Perez. So Ur and Onan are still alive. Good to know. But Ur and Onan died. Yeah, <laughs> in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. And the sons of Issachar, Tola, and Fuva, and Job, and Shimron. I wonder if it's that Job. And the sons of Zebulun, Sered, and Elon, and Jalil. These be the sons of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob in Padanaram, with his daughter Dinah. All the souls of his sons and his daughters were thirty and three. And the sons of Gad, Ziphion, and Hagi, Shuni, and Esbon, Eri, and Arodi, and Areli. And the sons of Asher, Jimna, and Ishua, and Isui, and Beria, and Serah, their sister. And the sons of Beria, Heber, and Malkiel. These are the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to Leah his daughter. And these she bare unto Jacob, even sixteen souls. The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife. 
Joseph, and Benjamin. The only two. And unto Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, which Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bare unto him. And the sons of Benjamin were Bela, and Besher, and Ashbel, Jera, and Naaman, Ehi, and Rosh, Mupim, and Hupim, and Ard. Mupim, and Hupim, and Ard. All right. These are the sons of Rachel, which were born to Jacob. All the souls were fourteen. And the sons of Dan, Hushim. And (laughs) that's it. Okay. And the sons of Naphtali, Jazeel and Guni, and Jezer and Shilem. These are the sons of Bilhah, which Laban, which Laban gave unto Rachel his daughter, and she bare these unto Jacob. All the souls were seven. All the souls that came with Jacob into Egypt, which came out of his loins, besides Jacob's sons' wives, all the souls were threescore and six. And the sons of Joseph, which were born him in Egypt, were two souls. All the souls of the house of Jacob, which came into Egypt, were threescore and ten. Seventy. And he sent Judah before him unto Joseph, to direct his face unto Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. And Joseph made ready his chariot, and went up to meet Israel his father to Goshen, and presented himself unto him. And he fell on his neck, and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said unto Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen thy face, because thou art yet alive. And Joseph said unto his brethren, and unto his father's house, I will go up and shew Pharaoh, and say unto him, My brethren and my father's house, which were in the land of Canaan, are come unto me. And the men are shepherds, for their trade hath been to feed cattle, and they have brought their flocks and their herds, and all that they have. And it shall come to pass, when Pharaoh shall call you, and shall say, What is your occupation? That ye shall say, Thy servant's trade hath been about cattle from our youth, even until now, both we and also our fathers that ye may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination unto the Egyptians. This seems to me to echo of uh, my conversation with Abby in the previous episodes, where she said, make sure you study Egyptian culture, for whatever reason, they look down on shepherds. But not only are they shepherds, they're Jewish. So I suppose integration into Egyptian culture is going to be a little difficult. Joseph has to make sure that there are strict lines where he is explaining to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians around him, this is where my family will be, this is what they will do. Chapter 47 Then Joseph came and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brethren and their flocks and their herds and all that they have are come out of the land of Canaan, and behold, they are in the land of Goshen. And he took some of his brethren, even five men, and presented them unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto his brethren, What is your occupation? And they said unto Pharaoh, 
Thy servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. They said moreover unto Pharaoh, For to sojourn in the land we are come, for thy servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is sore in the land of Canaan. Therefore we pray thee that thy servants dwell in the land of Goshen. And Pharaoh spake unto Joseph, saying, Thy father and thy brethren are come unto thee. The land of Egypt is before thee, and in the best of the land make thy father and brethren to dwell. In the land of Goshen let them dwell, and if thou knowest any men of activity among them, then make them rulers over my cattle. And Joseph brought in Jacob his father, and set him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Jacob, How old art thou? And Jacob said unto Pharaoh, The days of my pilgrimage are an hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been, and have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh, and went out from before Pharaoh. And Joseph placed his father and his brethren, and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph nourished the and Joseph nourished his father and his brethren, and all his father's household with bread, according to their families. Man, Joseph is tight with the Pharaoh. So yeah, you know, if there's some guys that you know, yeah, they can be rulers over my cattle too, sure. <laughs> and there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very sore, so that the land of Egypt and all the land of Canaan fainted by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the corn which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came unto Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in thy presence? For the money faileth, faileth. And Joseph said, Give your cattle, and I will give you for your cattle if money fail. And they brought the, their cattle unto Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for horses, and for the flocks, and for the cattle of the herds, and for the asses. And he fed them with bread for all their cattle for that year. I like that. Even though money is not happening right now, he's like, well, you can give me something. I also think it's funny that his father Jacob spent time raising a bunch of cattle, and now his son is getting all of Egypt's cattle. Another thing, he's reunited with his family and he's relocated them. That's all great, but Joseph still has a job to do. It's good that everything has worked out, but now responsibilities take over. We don't get to enjoy the end of Bad Boys 2. Now we also get the hours and hours of paperwork that they have to do too. When that year was ended, they came unto him the second year and said unto him, We will not hide it from my Lord, how that our money is spent. My Lord also hath our herds of cattle. There is not aught left in the sight of my Lord, but our bodies and our lands. Wherefore shall we die before thine eyes, both we and our land, by us and our land for bread, 
and we and our land will be servants unto Pharaoh, and give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land be not desolate. And Joseph bought all the land in, of Egypt for Pharaoh. Wow. For the Egyptians sold every man his field, because the famine prevailed over them. So the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he removed them to the cities from one end of the borders of Egypt, even to the other end thereof. Only the land of the priests bought he not, for the priests had a portion assigned them of Pharaoh, and did eat their portion which Pharaoh gave them. Wherefore, they sold not their lands. Then Joseph said unto the people, Behold, I have bought you this day and your land for Pharaoh. Lo, here is seed for you, and ye shall sow the land. And it shall come to pass in the increase that ye shall give the fifth part unto Pharaoh, and four parts shall be your own, for the seed of the field and for your food, and for them of your households and for food for your little ones. That sounds fair. And they said, Thou hast saved our lives. Let us find grace in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt unto this day, that Pharaoh should have the fifth part, except the lands of the priests only, which became not Pharaoh's. I like that. When he was younger, Potiphar respected his god. Now that he's grown up into a man, Joseph also respects the Egyptian gods. And Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions therein, and grew and multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt seventeen years, so the whole age of Jacob was an hundred, forty and seven years. And the time drew nigh, that Israel must die. And he called his son Joseph, and said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and deal kindly and truly with me. Bury me not, I pray thee, in Egypt. But I will lie with my fathers, and thou shalt carry me out of Egypt, and bury me in their burying place. And he said, I will do as thou hast said. And he said, Swear unto me. And he swore unto him. And Israel bowed himself upon the bed's head. Man. Chapter 48. And it came to pass after these things that one told Joseph, Behold, thy father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And one told Jacob and said, Behold, thy son Joseph cometh unto thee. And Israel strengthened himself and sat upon the bed. Oh, <laughs> man, it's an unusually cutting bit of information. He knows his son is coming, so he sits up. <gasps> the guy who wrestled an angel once has to focus all his energy so that he can sit up. <sighs> and Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said unto me, Behold, I will make thee fruitful and multiply thee, and I will make of thee a multitude of people and will give this land to thy seed after thee for an everlasting possession. And now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt before I came unto thee in Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. And thy issue, which thou begettest after them, shall be thine. 
and shall be called after the name of their brethren in their inheritance. And as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died by me in the land of Canaan in the way, when yet there was but a little way to come unto Ephrath. And I buried her there in the way of Ephrath, the same as Bethlehem. And Israel beheld Joseph's sons, and said, Who are these? And Joseph said unto his father, They are my sons, whom God hath given me in this place. And he said, Bring them, I pray thee unto me, and I will bless them. This was something that Abby told me before too, when they say, I will bless you. What that also means is, I will give you some kind of inheritance. I will bless you with a gift. So when Esau pleads with his father, do you not have a blessing for me? And he's like, I don't have anything. (laughs) I don't have anything to give you. I can give you a hug. That's what they're talking about. Now the eyes of Israel were dim for age, so that he could not see. And he brought them near unto him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said unto Joseph, I had not thought to see thy face. And lo, God hath shewed me also thy seed. (laughs) That's nice. And Joseph brought them out from between his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. This is something I've noticed with King James. Little loose on the pronouns. His knees, he's not, he's not taking them from his own knees. He's taking them from the knees of Israel. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand and brought them near unto him. Okay, let me let me see this. Ephraim in his right hand. Okay, that's cool. And is oh, are they going both under his thigh? <laughs> and Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger. And his left hand was upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. Now, this is very interesting. By putting Manasseh on Israel's right hand, Joseph is trying to get his oldest son the blessing, but it looks like Israel switched it up. He's giving, he's probably going to give the youngest one the blessing. If I'm following the clues correctly, and patterns are a thing with this book. And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day. The angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and let my name be named on them, and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head unto Manasseh's head. And Joseph said unto his father, Not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. Put thy right hand upon his head. And his father refused and said, I know it, my son, I know it. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations. And he blessed them that day, saying, In thee shall Israel bless saying, God, make thee as Ephraim and as Manasseh. 
and he set Ephraim before Manasseh. And Israel said unto Joseph, Behold, I die, but God shall be with you, and bring you again unto the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to thee one portion above thy brethren, which I took out of the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. So this I've read something about, and I alluded to it, or maybe have explained it in a previous episode. But basically, with this blessing, Jacob, or Israel, has given Manasseh and Ephraim enough portion so that they are now equal inheritors of his blessings along with his actual sons, even though they're his grandchildren. And he's able to do this, give them this double portion, because he's also taken it away from Reuben, although he's a good guy, slept with his concubine. Bad Reuben. Dad doesn't like that, so he's cut out. Chapter 49. And Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Gather yourselves together and hear, ye sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, and the excellency of power. Unstable as water, thou shalt not excel. <laughs> because thou wentest up to thy father's bed, then defiledest thou it. He went up to my couch. So I take it he's still upset. Simeon and Levi are brethren. Instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. O my soul, come not thou into their secret, unto their assembly. Mine honor, be not thou united. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they digged down a wall. Yeah, when their sister Dina was raped, they went into the city and then killed everybody. (laughs) That's also frowned upon. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Wow. Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stoops down. He couched as a lion and as an old lion. Who shall rouse him up? So basically he's saying he's badass. He's saying he was a lion's whelp. So he started as a young lion. Then from the prey, my son, thou art gone up. So he's raised up from his kill. I guess he stooped down, he couched as a lion, and as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? Who will dare disturb him? So his place is good. He got the good blessing. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, no, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. What does that mean? Who is Shiloh? I'm an, I'm the non-believer. I don't know what that means. To the internet, I go to the internet.
Okay, okay. Hmm. Okay. Shiloh means he whose it is, or he who is to be sent, or that which belongs to him. It can be a place, it can be a title, maybe it's a name. Seems vague, seems very, very vague. For those reasons, with the different translations, it seems the Christian view seems to point towards he who is to be sent. Wonder who that can be. Jesus. It's Jesus. Probably Jesus. So Judah will reign until Jesus says, I got it from here. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be, binding his foal unto the vine, and his ass's colt unto the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with wine, and his teeth white with milk. What does that mean? What is this? (laughs) Could you imagine if your dad is dying, and he's like, yo, Fuck you for sleeping with my concubine. And then he turns to your brother and is like, your eyes will be red as milk and your clothes will be as... Okay, a bit ago, I bought the Whitecliffe Bible Commentary. It's a 1,500-page, just, it's a volume. So this professes to be an entirely new commentary on the whole Bible written and edited by a number of scholars representing a wide cross-section of American Protestant Christianity. Good enough for me. So it says, The phrase, until Shiloh come, was spoken by Jacob in the midst of his prophetic prophetic picture of Judah's place in the plan of God. So that makes sense. I was kind of seeing it as a one thing and then the other thing. But the the bit about the grapes and uh, and the donkey was basically, according to this, saying that the vines would be so flourishing and the grapes so abundant that the conquering rider could fasten his horse's reins to the large branches and enjoy the luscious fruit. And the bit about bathing your clothes in wine. It's like, yeah, you're going to have a lot of wine. You're going to have a lot of prosperity. You're, um, it's interpreting the eyes red with wine, meaning bright with prosperity, and whiter than milk, meaning that the land would be divinely blessed. Okay, I can roll with that, sort of. But obviously, it is this Shiloh bit, which is the most important. This is the first time that I've seen a direct reference to someone who will come and give them ultimate deliverance. Judah will have this scepter until he who is to be sent takes it, or he who's he to whom the scepter belongs comes to take it. So this isn't just... Your people will have sovereignty over the land and will multiply and multiply. This is somebody is coming to to take sovereignty over you who takes sovereignty over everything. Cool. Zebulon shall dwell at the haven of the sea, and he shall be for an haven of ships, and his border shall be unto Zidon. Isaacar is a strong ass crouching down between two burdens, and he saw that the rest was good, and the land that it was pleasant, and bowed his shoulder to bear, and became a servant unto tribute. Okay, we can't all be alliance. Sometimes we, sometimes our fathers regard us as pack animals. 
at least he has an allotment. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Ooh, first mention of the tribes of Israel. If it, <laughs> if you didn't realize it already, with these listings of blessings and prophecies being gifted to the sons, we're also highlighting who is involved in the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, an adder in the path that biteth the horse heels so that his rider shall fall backward. I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. Okay, this is incredibly interesting. There are two interpretations of this. And then yet, a surprise third. Let's get into it. One, positive. Dan is small, but he will be able to strike out against something as big as a horse. So it's saying that even though Dan is just a man, he his contribution will be able, his judgment of his peers will be able to bring down tyranny. That's great. Then there's the negative view, which is that, but the flip side, he's going to create a lot of trouble for a lot of people. The third secret ending, an interpretation of Dan being related to the snake, which we also know being related to Satan, is related to a passage in Revelations referring to the beast or the Antichrist. Because Dan, as a tribe, is not mentioned as one of the 12 tribes of Israel, one of the theories goes that Dan is going to accidentally, eventually father the Antichrist. That's a bummer. Isaacar's feeling pretty good right now. (laughs) Okay. Gad, a troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome at the last. I guess this is also indirectly, directly related to his name. Um, She says, a troop cometh. His mother Leah says, when he's born. Interpretations I've read say that while she expected that she wasn't going to be able to birth any more children after Gad is born of her handmaid, I think it was Zilpah, Leah ends up having two more children. So the theme of Gad is heralding a last-minute victory. Gad, a troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome at the last. Out of Asher, his bread shall be fat, and he shall yield royal dainties. NIV for this is, Asher's food will be rich. He will provide delicacies fit for a king. Nice. Well, in a list of people that includes not getting any inheritance, fathering the Antichrist, <laughs> or just being a workhorse, donkey, pack animal. Asher, Asher's just going to make, he's just going to bake some good shit. That's nice. I'd say he lucked out. Naphtali is a hind let loose. He giveth goodly words. NIV for this. Naphtali is a doe set free that bears beautiful fawns. Apparently there's some confusion over the interpretation of this passage so that a word could mean he said, referring to speech. So in that way, he will produce beautiful words is how King James Version translate this. While while New International Version keeps with the deer theme and says he will bear beautiful fawns. Naphtali lucked out too. Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well. 
whose branches run over the wall. The archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him, but his bow abode in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, even by the God of thy father who shall help thee, and by the Almighty who shall bless thee with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lieth under, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. I wonder what that means. We know what that means. The blessings of thy father have prevailed above the blessings of my progenitors unto the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him that was separate from his brethren. Joseph, you dog. Nice. Benjamin shall raven as a wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey, and at night he shall divide the spoil. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. Twelve tribes of Israel! Yup, they sure are. And this is it, that their father spake unto them, and blessed them, everyone according to his blessing. He blessed them, and he charged them, and said unto them, I am to be gathered unto my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite for a possession of a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. Oh, Leah died. The purchase of the field and of the cave that is therein was from the children of Heth. And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. Hmm. I liked Jacob. Chapter 50 The Morning for Jacob And Joseph fell upon his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father, and the physicians embalmed Israel. And forty days were fulfilled for him, for so are fulfilled the days of those which are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him threescore and ten days. And when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spake unto the house of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found grace in your eyes, speak, I pray you, into the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Lo, I die. In my grave which I have digged for me in the land of Canaan, there shalt thou bury me. Now, therefore, let me go up, I pray thee, and bury my father, and I will come again. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury thy father, according as he made thee swear. And Joseph went up to bury his father. And with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, and all the house of Joseph, and his brethren, and his father's house, Only their little ones, and their flocks, and their herds, they left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, 
and it was a very great company. And they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond Jordan. And there they mourned with a great and very sore lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning in the floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning to the Egyptians. Wherefore, the name of it was called Abel Mizraim, which is beyond Jordan. And his sons did unto him according as he commanded them. For his sons carried him into the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah, which Abraham bought with the field for a possession of a burying place of Ephron the Hittite before Mamre, the cave of the patriarchs. And Joseph returned into Egypt, he and his brethren, and all that went up with him to bury his father, after he had buried his father. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph, will peradventure hate us, and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren, and their sin. For they did unto thee evil, and now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them, and spake kindly unto them. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house, and Joseph lived an hundred and ten years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knees. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land, unto the land which he sware to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died, being an hundred and ten years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And that's it. So ends the book of Genesis. Okay, let's talk. This is the end of Jacob's story, Israel's. This is the end of Joseph's story. I didn't know he was going to die at the end. They threw that one in as a last-minute twist. And this is the end of the whole book. Everything that I've ever read in the Bible, I have read and completed reading for the first time. My thoughts are this. Humanity was damned in the beginning because humanity went against God. So that was the first offense. It occurs to me that since then, with Cain and Abel, 
we've had brother against brother. We've had Cain murder Abel and then carry the stain, the mark of that for the rest of his life through his generations. And we've seen a lot of evil come from that. Now, at the end of Genesis, I don't think it's a mistake that it ends with the forgiveness of a sin, of brother against brother. According to the book, God wills things to happen. And even if you act badly, it is a part of the plan that God has made for you. It didn't seem to be so when Cain murdered Abel. That was not looked at as a good thing. It wasn't looked at as something that God had planned for them. Maybe this is the reason why we have the moment when God explains that man shall be judged by man for the price of spilling blood. If murder is bad, the murder of your brother is the worst sin that you can commit, according to this book. But while there's no going back to Eden, at least not at the moment, the one thing that we see that we can go back from is when we sin against our brother or against our family. We see reconciliation. We see the hope for forgiveness to move on, to move forward. That seems to me, after all of this, to be the sin of Cain forgiven. I should say, the mark of Cain upon humanity forgiven. So we see down through the years the results of this sin, how it caused evil in the land, and how it needed to be dealt with. The brothers, the 12 tribes of Israel that we have, are not perfect, but what we've seen from them represents the best of humanity that exists. God had to kill a lot of people. <laughs> to make that happen. Now, at the end, everybody's in the right place. Everybody, the seed has been planted, so to speak, and it's been planted in Egypt, calling back the fiery furnace, which Abraham envisions. He has a vision while he's making his first covenant with God, the first major covenant of the book. I mean, serious covenant, because this has lasted on through his generations. And he said that your descendants will go into a land where they are strangers and suffer a great deal and be enslaved. And eventually, they will return to the land, the land of Canaan. So now with their settling in Egypt, while there is famine in the land, while living in Canaan is impossible, the stage is set for that part of the covenant to be realized. God has kept his promise to man, and man have begun to heal himself, I suppose, to make himself forgivable for the things that he has done to himself. If there's anything in this book that has stuck with me the longest, it would be this passage. Genesis 1.29 And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. Every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. 
I spoke about this early on when I first read it as clearly referring to the concept of infinity, but nested infinity, infinity within itself. That is the one thing that I've seen constantly reiterated through this book, through the book of Genesis, and even in the way that the human characters are. Each one is the seed of a new idea that's constantly being birthed and rebirthed, that's constantly giving birth to itself. We start to get these generations of people. We get attached to a new name. First, it's Abram, Abraham. Then he has sons. We start to follow them. I'm following Isaac now. I'm following Jacob now, Israel, Joseph. And every single one of them die. They all live and they all die just the same. It's the same story being told over and over, but I don't get tired of it. There's small variations. Obviously, there's, I mean, <laughs> the story is meant to move forward over a very long span of time. So from the mundane day-to-day existence to the beauty of continual life, death, and birth, played out upon the stage of the human experience. These things are still the works of God. They are still infinities, spreading outward infinitely. The idea isn't that we understand where it goes, but where our place is in it. It is my idea that we are meant to figure out how we're supposed to live our own personal lives and the infinitely sprawling story of our people and the big things. I guess that's what Christians mean when they say it's on God. Like he's got the big stuff. You worry about, you know, working out once to (laughs) twice, maybe three times a week, doing your homework, doing your taxes, raising your kids right. Because in the end, you're going to live and you're going to die. You're going to create misery for yourself or you're going to create goodness. And God's plan will prevail. I think it's worth to say at this point, and I think it would be a good idea to reiterate at the end of each book where I am in the believer status. After reading the book of Genesis, I am firmly a non-believer. But that's not why I'm reading the Bible. I'll be very surprised if I do become a believer But damn, if you can rope me in with a good story, who knows? (laughs) I understand the concept of personal salvation, how that works for individual people, and how that's encouraged in every level of this book. Even though it's something that I understand, it's not something that I can accept quite yet. It's hard for me to understand how to integrate something that I don't know or can prove into my life in a very real way. Or worse, I see the potential of enacting what I think that would look like and getting it wrong, being way off the mark. Whatever spiritual understanding I can have of this book, if I can and if I will as we continue, remains to be seen. But I'm not sure how much value that can be to someone else. What I think is of most value, the more that I read this book, is of knowing what to do. 
And that's it. My friend and I are extremely successful in our business, but now we're starting to butt heads. Maybe we're feeling a little restricted by each other. One go left, one go right. Abraham and Lot. I'm living in my parents' basement. My life sucks and I haven't accomplished anything. I need to move. I need to go. I need to take my wife that I somehow was able to get and make some work for myself, not in the planning stages, but by going out and doing it. It's great advice. Abraham, again, you can work really hard and still get screwed over by people you trust. Jacob, even if you disagree with someone, there's still room for reconciliation. Jacob, twice with Laban and his brother Esau. Sometimes you don't want to know the answer to the questions you're asking. Jacob again. When you're having sex with your brother's widow, don't pull out. Onan. (laughs) But I think that's the point. We're given this look at infinity and we're given the concept of infinity because it's important that we know the nature of the divine. And the reason why it is infinity is because we lack the instruments. We lack the mechanism, the machinery to be able to interpret that. That's why everything looks like infinity going in all directions. We can't comprehend it. It gives us a taste of that. Shows us how small we are, how big we are, how big everything else is, how small everything is, how everything everything is. And saying, listen, don't worry about that. Just figure out, figure out what you're going to do about you and your wife. You got to start having kids. (laughs) Figure out when you're going to stop working for your shitty uncle. Figure out how you're going to live your life. Even if we can't understand infinity, we need to be able to see both. Because while we should be concerned with the here and now, through the book we see how our small actions can ripple outward through generations for good or ill. I think that's a good place to end. And I think this is a great place to begin whatever time whatever place thanks for being here next week we begin a new book but for now take care my creeping things adios